Hello everyone and welcome to Rolling Forward. I am your host Ben Baldieri and thank you for tuning in. Rolling Forward is dedicated to exploring topics related to mental health and sports and the interplay between the two. I'll be talking to high performers in various areas such as sport, entrepreneurship and business about their experiences with mental health and the struggles they have had and in doing so seeking to broaden the dialogue. Mental health is a huge issue which has historically not received the recognition it deserves so I'm looking to do my bit to change that. My guest today is Ryan Miller. Ryan is a coach and consultant who is relentless in the pursuit of other people's success. And Ryan's niche is focused upon exploring the mindset of success and he helps people to develop the skills that they need to perform at the highest level. Ryan believes that self-awareness and confidence are the keys but not in the way that you initially might think. Ryan has been running his coaching business since 2011, and in this conversation, we explore some of his journey in business and the struggles associated with building an enterprise. We also touch on some of the more important things that he learned on his journey, such as the importance of asking for help and how the hints that you might need help can pile up. Also, how important managing the ego is and how you can develop confidence in the process that you are undergoing. We then dive into what it means to live a good life and explore how the stoic ideal of virtue is complementary to the Christian ideas of what a good life actually entails. Ryan is also a survivor of the 2017 Route 91 massacre, and he graciously allowed us to explore some of the experience of being involved in a mass shooting, as well as the longer term impact that the trauma of the event had on his health and well-being. We also explore some of his other personal experiences with mental health and how he manages it in himself and in others. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and the willingness that Ryan had to explore some of the more sensitive areas of conversation. So please enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. Good morning, Ryan. What is up? How's it going? (laughs) Good. Thank you very much for doing this. This is um, video podcast number two, so fingers crossed the, the connection maintains the same level of stability it has been doing so before we turned on the recording. So you are a peak performance coach, high performance coach with more of a niche focus on optimizing your, your mindset and getting your head in the right place to to perform at the level that you want to. Could you give us a bit of an overview about that, about your business? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that there are um, a lot of people out there that are speaking to, maybe coaching to, definitely influencing people in this idea of motivation and drive and inspiration. And uh, take that or leave that for whatever it is. Um, I, I, my, my heart is really around helping people get super practical on their pursuit of success, fulfillment, joy, whatever it is that they want to call that. And so I firmly believe that it's rooted in who we are and not in the systems, processes, practices that we put into place. Like all those things are important, but we need to start at that foundation. So that for me is where every one of my coaching relationships start, regardless of where people want to enter in with me, is getting clarity on who they are as an individual uh, from an identity perspective, uh, and then understanding the roles that they play, uh, that they've been called to in the life they're living, and then I'll help them begin uh, to create the systems and processes to get to where they want to go or where 
uh, they ultimately decide they want to go after we we exercise that process. So, yep, that's, so that's that, kind of in a nutshell. Is that digging into um, things like beliefs and values and that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, so absolutely. Um, you know, I guess at the root of it all, I would say like what that gets you out of bed every single day, right? Like what what are you truly passionate about? And it takes a long time um, often for us to really get clarity around that because again, you know, um, building a strong foundation for my family, having a nice home, uh, with, uh, you know, vehicles and go on vacation. Like those are all really, really good things. And, and, and again, and yet I don't think any of those things would be willing to put my life on the line for, right? So like those don't get me out of bed. Now, maybe what that produces from a perspective of uh, freedom or from uh, just the experience of life, um, you know, those things seem to be far more important. And so I try to help people articulate to the best of their ability what it is really gets them out of bed and what it is they're really willing to give everything over to. Um, and so that, that, that's where I'm, I'm really talking about getting, you know, getting started at. So when you're, when you're going through this process, what are some of the common issues that people tend to tend to face when they're trying to discover these, these kind of underlying values, what it is that motivates them to get up in the morning? Um, so I think that there are a lot of challenges at play and some of those are intentional, others are not. Uh, so definitely I think that the world that surrounds us, uh, creates a cloud, um, for what should be important to us. And so, you know, we've just, <clears throat> we've been uh, born into raised in uh, a culture that uh, kind of determines for us where we need to be going in life. Like I live in America, right? And so it's the quote unquote pursuit of the American dream. And that has shifted a little bit over time, but it still has kind of an inherent idea of what that is, or one day I want to retire. And so, you know, we, we, we build that into our kind of uh, uh, narrative of life. So then we have to shape things in a certain way to get there. Okay, so if I want to retire at 65, uh, then I need to make X amount of dollars each year in order to get there. And I need to have a savings account over here. And then my job needs to look like this. So that's a struggle, right? So that's just kind of like the cultural barrier uh, that comes into play. Um, another one is around our own personal um, struggles, um, blind spots. So very few people would admit to not being self-aware, right? They, most people would say, yeah, I'm pretty self-aware. Uh, the reality is, is not many of us are, um, because we just haven't done that work, right? We don't, we don't really understand where to even start. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that becomes a big barrier and the barrier is not, helping them become, become self-aware. It's convincing them that they're not and doing that in a way that is encouraging and supportive instead of just like condemning. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really big hurdle. Um, th those are the things that I typically see are the biggest challenges. And then right behind that are then, okay, so if you tell me that, that I'm not self-aware or that I'm not really sure of where I want to go, then how the hell do I get there, right? Like that, that then becomes a big struggle. It's like, so practically then how do you put meat on that boat? Yeah, of course. I mean, so when you you say doing like the the internal work, um, what do you what do you mean by that? Hmm. How does one go about developing that level of self awareness? If if you feel that you have it in the first place, and yeah. then it suddenly becomes acutely aware that it's not there, how do you do that internal work? 
Yeah, so typically um, the the detection for whether we are self-aware uh, usually begins with uh, doing an analysis of um, what our what our life looks like. So, um, what type of role are you in? Um, that's personal and professional. Like, I don't. I'm not a life coach, and so it's just all about happy life. I'm not a, strictly a business coach. I really believe this is an integration of all things because all those domains are, are you know, we share time in all those. Uh, so so uh, what are all these roles that we play? Um, how do I behave in each of those roles? Like, do they, do they look similar across the board, or am I one way in one role and one way or in, in another? Um, with the habits and disciplines or lack thereof, like, what do those look like on a daily basis? How do I react to circumstances that are in front of me? Um, do I understand that there's things I can control and not control? And so that's just that foundational analysis, right? That's not even the homework of, okay, so then let's build the foundation. It's just, let's do an evaluation to understand because it, it's like a really simple thing. Like most people would say like, well, I'm a good person or I want to be a good person. I want to care for other people. And it's like, okay, great. So tell me about your commute to work every day. And this one sounds really simple, and I may not get to this basic, uh, basic thing, but like, tell me about your commute to work this morning. They're like, well, oh, you know, I was stuck in traffic, and you know, I was really frustrated. Okay, you know, did like, anybody cut you off? Yeah, like this one a-hole, they cut me off. And like, how did you react to that? You know, I flipped them off, whatever. I'm like, okay, so then, d- does that support that good person that cares for and treats other people? Like, is that the same person? Well, no, but that's different. I'm like, no, actually, that's the same. And so what that tells me is, is that there's probably other things that trigger you to, to not be the person that you want to be, which means you're not self-aware. So like, where does that come from, right? And then we go all the way back to like, well, you know, I, I was always given permission to kind of fly off the handle in these environments, but not in these ones. And it's like, okay, that's a problem, right? So it's just, it's all this homework for self kind of valuation and understanding before you begin to build process. And that's another area, by the way, that's such a problem is most coaches, most books, most programs, they go right into let's do work, right? Which is let's build your habit and discipline, which are amazing things to do. Let's set goals, amazing things to do. But if you are building all of that off of a false foundation, off of somebody that's not you, You've wasted all kinds of time, effort, and energy, and eventually, for the mass majority of people, that's going to collapse. Mm-hmm. So, when you when you say building up something that's not you, um, something that we see on social media quite a lot nowadays is authenticity, mm-hmm. and it could be authenticity in the content that you're putting out, or authenticity in like the you that you are presenting to the world. If you're, are you saying that if you're trying to build something on an inauthentic foundation, it's going to be shaky, or Am I misinterpreting that? Yeah, I mean, so definitely shaky because then again, like we're 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 living in this premise of I have to force like like that idea of like fake it till you make it like that, that doesn't work right like that that's that that doesn't that that's not reality like eventually we can't keep up with that um, if we're if we're trying to pursue goals that aren't really um, supportive of who we are, eventually we're going to exhaust ourselves. That's why we're seeing burnout. Like that's one of the reasons why we see such issues with mental health at at the place that they're in, which, you know, we can get more into that. And I'm not an expert in that area, but like, but I can speak a lot to it because, you know, it's like, you know, run this race, 
chase these goals, do these things. And then when, when I talk to people, and I talk to people a lot like that are employees of other companies, and they're just dying on the vine. And I'm like, what's your problem? And it's like, well, you know, I'm trying to chase this thing that, you know, my boss wants me to do. And I'm like, but do you care? Well, I mean, I do because they care. Yeah, but do you? Well, no. Okay, then you have a problem, right? And you need to reconfigure your life if you ever are going to sustain any level of joy. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is a place for the the kind of fake it till you make it attitude at the very beginning? So if you're if you're stepping into a new role or you're trying to develop a new skill, maybe you're not feeling overly confident with it. I mean, there are the four stages of learning out there. You've got unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, and unconscious competence. If you're in that stage where you're kind of you're putting yourself out there, maybe you're not feeling too good in and of yourself. Can kind of faking that confidence until you start developing the competence, is there a place for that? Okay. So I'm not going to say a hard and fast no, um, because I want to be fair to the outlier, but here's why I would say no, uh, based on my own opinion Mm -hmm. is I think that even in that we, we have misdefined confidence. So confidence we believe is I'm going to step into this role and I'm going to kill it. Like I'm confident that I can get it and I can do this job. I can nail the sales call. I can nail this interview. I think we've missed it because when we go back to the root idea of what confidence really is, it really comes from a place of more about I'm confident that my best is good enough given the circumstances at hand. Like you think about any athlete, right? So like, um, uh, I'm a fairly big baseball fan. or let's say golf, golf's, golf's probably an even better example. So Tiger Woods, <clears throat> uh, one of the best golfer golfers that has ever, and probably will ever live. There is rarely a time that Tiger Woods shows up to a tournament and decides I'm not going to give my best. Like he goes into every single tournament. I'm going to give it everything that I have. And yet he shoots a different score every single time. Like when, when his drive, when his drives are like shanking right all day long and he can't hit a fairway, that's not because he, he's not giving it all, all he has. It's because having an off day. And so that's not necessarily a lack of confidence. That's just a bad day. And so we need to redefine even that for people because, you know, then going back to your answer, I actually feel like the best that we can do is step into a new role, a new opportunity, whatever with complete transparency and honesty. Like there is nothing better for me than when I'm coaching a new salesperson, when a prospect asks them a question and their answer is, I don't know, but I'm going to get back to you. Like we can all see through the lie of BSing your way into it. (laughs) And like, I don't think that we need to, we don't need to fake our knowledge. We don't need to fake our confidence. I don't think we need to, we don't, we just don't need to now. If you're in an environment where you're forced to do that, I would say you're probably in the wrong environment. So I think that we just change that circumstance. I don't think we need to change who we are. Mm-hmm. So going back to your, your golf example, um, Tiger Woods obviously puts in a huge amount of work to, to get to the level that he does. Is mastery then of a of a certain skill is that something like working towards mastery is that where the confidence comes from or is it coming from somewhere else like how would one develop it yeah so so again so it it, it depends on 
where your confidence lies. So if my confidence lies in me, again, this idea of my best is good enough, then I'm confident I'm going to show up and give it my all every single day. Mm -hmm. Now, if my confidence, if I want to have confidence in my ability to win the player's championship that's coming up this weekend here, um, if I want confidence in that, then yes, I need to spend a significant amount of time practicing everything from my drives to my chips to my putts, um, overall mental awareness of the game, my commitment to that, my, my stamina, like all of those things. But those are separate. And again, like I think that we can do a better job of separating those two things because when we fail uh, in an effort to, to accomplish or achieve something, whether it's a sport or a job or whatever, we put that back on ourselves and we become a failure, right? And so that's why like we're trying to change the language on failure. Like it's okay to fail. Like I get what they're saying, but it's because we, we've assigned failure to the wrong thing. We, we may have failed or stumbled or not achieved the outcome that we wanted with the effort that we put forth, but that doesn't change who we are as a human being. Like that doesn't change our value as a human being. And so there's just so, there's so many better ways that, that we can step into these situations. And then what's great too, by the way, is if we have the utmost confidence in our commitment to do the best that we can, and then... We go into the commitment to get better at what we do. We go in with so much more firepower. We go in with such a better like launching pad into what it is we're trying to accomplish versus I'm giving it my all and confident that I'm going to go in there and kill X, Y, or Z because every time we stumble, it'll just cut us back down. Mm-hmm. Do you find, I mean, just going back to your, your coaching business, do you ha- generally tend to have more male or female clients out of curiosity? So, uh, so, uh, uh, let's see right now I have more male clients mm-hmm. than I do female clients. Um, I wish I had uh, more female clients, um, but not because of why some people may think so like right now we, we have this, a really big push to uh, equality in the workplace and in the world. And I am a huge advocate for it. Like I got two daughters, I'm married to an amazing woman that I want them to be treated the same, paid the same, but like, I'm not trying to meet an equality level with clients. Like why I say that is because all too often when I'm coaching other people, I'm learning so much. And so I will actually want the opportunity to work with more women to get a better understanding for some of the things that they're struggling with. Mm -hmm. Because um, I do, I work with a few women uh, that it's, it's fascinating to see how differently they experience and see things. And so that's helped to stretch me in really good ways, but it's also helped me to gain a lot of empathy for uh, the things that other people that don't look like me, talk like me, walk like me are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's helpful too. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, it's, it's a lot more male dominated. Like I'm running a small group coaching program right now. We're in about week seven and it's five guys. And I'm like, dude, like, why do I not attract more women to this? And so I need to figure out some ways to do that because I need some more of that being spoken into my circles. Mm -hmm. So in comparison, if you were to compare, say the men and the women, are there any significant differences in terms of the the issues that these individuals are facing? Um, is, there, is there like not so much a stereotypically male set of issues, but like a, te- a set of issues that male men will generally tend to struggle with and then a set of issues that in your experience so far women tend to struggle with? Or is it broadly similar in terms of 
the things that they're dealing with. Oof. Yeah. So this is the danger of a broad stroke answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I do, I do think that there are, uh, there are definitely some things that challenge one gender versus the other in general. Again, this is a big generalization, lots of, of um, you know, I want to put a lot around this. Uh, So uh, most times men are, are fighting to outmuscle the next person, not necessarily by strength, but it's like, I've got to prove myself. I, you know, I got to get out there. I got to push it. Um, and so they're, they're stepping into a lot of that. And with that uh, comes uh, a huge miss in their willingness to get vulnerable, um, to be open about the deep personal things they struggle with. They like to keep those compartments separate, uh, separate a lot more. Um, you know, between like personal, professional, spiritual, whatever, like they, those domains, like all sit separately. So that's a big challenge that I face when I work with a lot of guys. Um, the ladies side, um, I think there's two big struggles at play, uh, that I find. And again, this is not wholesale. This is kind of what I see. Uh, one is they live in a society that right now is, pushing them and again rightfully so but also with some struggle uh, pushing them to fight for equality and so um, they're trying to fight that all the while kind of find their self and fight for their own things uh, even when those can be one and the same so that's one big problem Uh, the other problem and this is this happens to everybody but i think it's more so unfortunately put on women is there has been such an issue of a self-image a struggle with self-image Right. So uh, um, maybe more so like uh, through the 90s and 2000s, uh, body image issues, self-worth issues. And so when those things compound on top of just their desire to perform, then they're trying to fight their own self-confidence. They're trying to to fight what they think other people see in them. Uh, Then they're just trying to just to be themselves. Like there's so many things. And again, like I think guys deal with that, too. I just think they deal with it a little bit differently. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say those are some of the things that I see as being different. Um, but it's, that doesn't happen all the time. I would just say the majority of the ones that I come across are that way. So universal issues of societal expectations and totally. being bombarded with unrealistic expectations and so on and so forth. Yep. Going yep. back to what you were saying about the internal work. So you've been running your coaching business since 2011, if memory serves. Yep. 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 When you when you first kind of embarked on this, I mean, was this your kind of first foray into entrepreneurship, or were you previous? Did you previously have that kind of entrepreneurial streak? Uh, no, I mean, so uh, professionally, just in my career, I, I definitely had a desire to lead, to teach, and coach, and train people. But you know, in roles, right? So, like, I was a salesperson for a long time, moved into a, a leadership manager role. I worked for a large publicly traded company and was being bred to go out and run a a division of that company. Um, And then um, I started to gain a significant affinity to uh, professional development, sales training and coaching after experiencing uh, some time with one of our corporate trainers. Uh, This guy was like the Zen. Like, have you ever seen that movie Couples Retreat? Can't say I have a body. Okay, so there, there's this movie, and uh, so there's just this guy, and he's like the most like zen, chill, like everything is good, and it's all wonderful, and you just put your mind to it, and he's just so at peace. And so that was this guy's thing was Stan Jernigan, 
crazy enough. Uh, we reconnected some years later and, and we still talk till today, which has been amazing. And so like, I saw that guy and I'm like, man, I want to do that. I want to help people to get better at, at being themselves and, and perform. And so then um, I ended up getting laid off of that job. Uh, we were a victim of the housing uh, crisis in the uh, mid 2000s uh, here in the States. And um, I got cut because I was the top earning salesperson. And so they felt like they could retain my business and you know, save, my, save my money, which they did in the short term. That was good for them. And so I just decided that I didn't want to go work for anybody else. And so that was my first jump in was, I think that I can do this. Um, little did I know how brutally hard it was going to be in the beginning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of just, it was almost like I was forced, but also I could have taken another job. I just felt like, you know, I, I was better served going after it myself. Mm -hmm. So you, you've started your business and as you mentioned there, like it's significantly harder than, oh. than you were expecting. What was the internal work that you ended up having to do on a, on a personal basis going through that experience? Like, could you take us through some of the emotions that you were experiencing? Yeah. Some of the experiences that you had? Yeah. So, uh, have you ever heard the, um, the expression that pride comes before the fall? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, um, so I, I wish I would have done a better job of documenting. So, um, like, you know, in today's day and age, we document everything. This was only 2011, but world, the world was so different even then. So I wish I would have journaled more and done more, but you know, some of the big things that happened were like, I didn't think that I was going to just kill it day one. I mean, when I started my business, I had a wife at home that was staying at home with our two kids. At the time, uh, they were, uh, I don't know, 11 and four, right around that age. Um, we had a mortgage and we had $500 to our name. No savings account, no 401k, no nothing. Now, we had family that would have never let us live on the street, but they just, they weren't well off enough to fund us either. And so <clears throat> I had to get to work quickly and I realized quickly how hard it was to get people to pay me for the things that I thought I was good at, right? Like, it's amazing to like, quote unquote, give advice, to consult people, to teach people things. But then when you tell them how much it's going to cost, it's a whole different story. So, uh, so as I was running up against that and I was trying to find other ways to make some money on the side, brokering some work and doing some other things, I started to realize that. I just, I couldn't do it on my own. And I had always been very independent. My parents divorced when I was six. And so I became the man of the house for my mom. I was mowing the lawn by the time I was seven. And um, I, my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was like 10. I had to start driving her car at like 11 because she couldn't drive. So like all these things, right? Like I was the independent guy. I could take charge. I could do it all. And I just realized I couldn't, but I was too prideful to admit that I was struggling and too prideful to ask for help. Uh, and so um, my belief was like God started literally removing things from my life, like mm -hmm. little by little. He's like, if you're not going to ask for help, I'm just going to start taking stuff away. So like we lost like toys that we had, like grown up toys, desert toys and things like that. Like, Oh, can't afford that. Got to give that back. And it just kind of kept crumbling. And so then all of a sudden, probably the middle of 2012, um, end of 2012, like a random gift card would show up in our mailbox for the grocery store or 
a gift card for a restaurant so my wife and I could have a date or a cashier's check with nobody's name on it in my mailbox with our name on it for $1,000. Like there was just these moments and it was so cutting to me because it was a reminder in that moment to me, I thought that I had failed, that I couldn't provide, that um, I, I wasn't enough. And yet it was this eye-opening experience to show me that like you cannot do this on your own. And like as smart as you think you are, as awesome as you think you are, like it's just not going to work. And so that was huge for me. I like I had a lot of other like personal issues and struggles going on at that time. I was in the middle of a stretch of not having spoke to my biological dad for 10 years. We've now reconnected since then. But I didn't have that guidance and leadership. My wife and I went through a lot of marital struggles early on. So that was a struggle. So like it was just all these things happening at once, which was for me, all the way to what we started talking about in the very beginning, it was causing me to go back and understand what I really gave a shit about. Like, was I really willing to like fight for these things or was it time to give up? And I'm sure that there were many moments that I wanted to quit. I don't remember them, but like, I know that they were there. And, and so then my wife would encourage me, somebody else would encourage me. I'd land a small deal. Right. And so like, that was all the way up until the beginning of 2013. I mean, it felt like an eternity, but I think it was about a year and a half um, of us just fighting and fighting and fighting till we started to finally get above water and, uh, and get going. And so it was all around, you know, self-understanding, self-awareness, emotional intelligence wasn't even talked about back then, uh, but that's what it was all about for me. Mm-hmm. Was there, like, or is there any particular moment that you can remember whereby you kind of had that, realization shift whereby you went from being like i can do this by myself i don't need anyone's help to like oh shit like i could probably do with a bit of a hand keeping my head above the water here yeah yeah so uh one really amazing one uh and it took another year and a half after that because i was too much of an idiot to realize it the first time (laughs) so um so beginning let's just yeah beginning of 2013 um i clicked off a couple of really good sized deals And so my family was being carried. And so we're paying our bills every single month for the first time in like two years. Um, We're not losing stuff anymore. We're actually able to kind of like voluntarily go out to dinner and do some things. Uh, So that went all the way through 2013 into 2014. uh, And in, I think it was March or April of 2014, in a three-week period, I think it was, I lost 60% of my income as the result of one of my clients getting acquired And so they no longer could use me. Another client, um, uh, we finished the project. And the third one, I don't even remember why. And so it was like, oh my gosh, like I'm all the way back to nothing. And because I had spent so much time, I was investing so much of my time on those people, I wasn't developing business right behind the scenes. So um, I had been sending out email newsletters and I get this like wisecrack email response back from this guy. And it was kind of funny, kind of like, I don't even know you. Why are you saying this? It was weird. I don't even know how he got on my newsletter. Probably I just added him in some like spam thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I do some Google research. I look him up and he's this pretty well-known local uh, marketing guy, author, runs some successful agencies here in Orange County, California. And so I responded back to him and I said, hey, I don't know how you made it on my email list, but looks like we share a lot of the same values and vision. I said, I'd love to go grab lunch with you. And so he accepted, which was amazing to me. And so we went and sat down, we had lunch 
uh, about two hours of lunch conversation. We got to the end of lunch. And for the first time, literally ever sitting down across the table from somebody, I had nothing to give him. Like there was no value I could add. Like he was accomplished. He was well done. And I looked at him across the table and I said, Dean, I said, this is the first time I'm ever going to, I've ever had to say this. I said, but there is nothing that I can offer to you in this moment. I said, but I said, after learning about you for the last two hours and the people that you're connected to, I said, I need to be connected to your network. I said, I would appreciate any way that you could put me in front of people that could send me the type of clients that you're regularly running around with. And it was just, again, this like super humbling experience. Like I had no out, but I just knew I had to do that. Within two weeks, he provided more revenue in referral business than I had lost months prior. Like it was mind blowing to me. Right. But again, like it was just this reminder that like, even at that time being just a solo entrepreneur, like I needed people and I, and I had stopped like really seeking out, you know, those types of things. And he became a mentor to me. We're good friends to this day. It's actually crazy how uh, roles have shifted in a sense. And I've actually been walking through some challenges with him and helping him with some things all these years later. So it was just another lesson, right? About like dummy, ask for help, constantly let people know. Like even now people are like, oh man, you look like you're together and you're, you're killing it. I'm like, first of all, I'm not killing it. Second of all, I can always use the mental, emotional and practical support. And third of all, if you have a client that you think of, you could send my way, I need it. So keep, keep them coming, right? Just, I, I just don't, I never want to shut that off anymore. Mm-hmm. So up until that point, would you, would you say that you had been quite ego driven perhaps? Definitely through, let's see here. So, so through probably, so this is dating all the way back 2006, Mm -hmm. I definitely was. So uh, I found decent success early on. So by the time I was 22, I was married. I bought a house here in Orange County, driving a Mercedes. I had broken a hundred thousand dollars, which at that time, kids, that was a lot of money. Um, and, um, so like, I was just, I felt so good, right? Like I'm killing it. I'm accomplished. Um, so for me, uh, not to get too much into this, but, um, my wife and I went through a a very, very difficult time in our marriage about four and a half years in, um, uh, we were talking divorce. Uh, We were led into the church and came to faith and that began to peel away some layer of me. But that then from 2006, um, when that happened all the way through to probably 2000, 13 or 14 did it take me to completely peel back all of those things and don't get me wrong like I still got an ego and it still needs to be checked on the regular but I'm much more aware of it now and I know where my tendencies lie but it took many many years of like self-work to get to the place where I wasn't fighting that on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there is, I mean, a place for like a healthy amount of ego? So if your ego is in the driving seat, then obviously it's going to bump up against people, be quite abrasive, maybe take you to places that you don't necessarily need to be. But in terms of it being quite a useful tool for keeping you accountable to the things that you know that you are capable of, do you think that there is a place for that? Um, so like, uh, so Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Ego is the Enemy. Yep. Um, one of the best books I've read in a long time. Um, I think I have to say that because uh, to the best of my understanding of human nature, um, I I think that ego always drives us into bad places. 
Um, I think though that if we took that and go back to like this idea of confidence and mastery. So if, if we more came from the approach of like, um, if, if I understand who I am, right? So my gifts, my talents, um, my willingness to commit to whatever, um, then anything that I step into, I can achieve, right? Like I don't, I'm, I'm never going to be an all-star center in the NBA, but, but I would be an idiot to ever think that I could step into that and actually do that. But um, if I wanted to, um, like a, a couple of years ago, I, I, I thought that'd be really cool to play the drums. And so I just started playing and practicing little by little and committed more and more to it. Now, uh, I'm still uh, far off from where I want to be, but I did it, right? Like I was able to commit to it and the time to do it. And so like my confidence was in like, okay, if I commit myself to this, I can do it. And then if you are willing to put in the time, effort, energy to what it is you're committing to, then I think that then you can have the confidence in that. And so I don't know if that's necessarily ego and maybe it's just because ego has such a negative connotation to it. But I do think that you should bring that confidence. Like I know that when I, uh, when I, when I consult with a prospective client and, and I hear, I'm like, I can help them. I'm 100% confident that I can help them. When I step up on stage to speak at an event, um, there is no doubt in my mind that I can deliver to the best of my ability and I'm going to make an impact on the people that are in that room. You can call that ego if you want. Um, I don't think so. I think, again, it's an awareness of what I know that I've been gifted with and my time that I put in to preparing for those moments. Mm -hmm. So circling back to having that level of self-awareness that means that you have the faith in the process you know that the process that you've gone through to get to wherever stage that you're at so it could be giving a speech or delivering a presentation or nailing a sales call or something like that knowing that you've put the work in and yep. having faith in the work you put in as opposed to misplacing your faith in your sense of what you think you are totally totally and then too you know e even in that it's um when it comes to my effort so I know that I can control the effort I put forth, but I can never control the outcome. I can influence the outcome, but I can never control the outcome. So again, like that's something that I've had to work on for myself. And, and that can be a bailout. Like what I don't like is people like, I can't control the outcome. I lost that deal. That was their problem, not mine. I'm like, no, you probably didn't prepare well and you didn't deliver, right? Like, so you don't, you don't want to use that as a ripcord, but um, uh, but I'm just focused on like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to give it everything I got and I'm well prepared and I'm going to learn from it no matter whether I win it or lose it. But I don't tie myself anymore to outcome. Um, so much so that, uh, 2019 was the first year I did this and I followed it in 2020. Um, I don't have goals. So that's, uh, 2019 was the first time in 10 years, maybe a few more that I did not set a goal for myself. Now that doesn't mean that like, uh, we're trying to buy a house again here in Orange County. It's been uh, many years since we lost our last house. Um, so like that could be considered a goal. Like there's some things out there. Like I have some vision for where I want my business to go, but I don't care. Like my, my focus now is on what I can control, which is who I am, the way I behave, the way I act. And I believe that if I do that, then I will produce the life that I was created to produce. Nice. Okay. Cool. So you mentioned Ryan Holiday there with Ego is the Enemy. I'm assuming that you've read some of his other books as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How much does stoicism feature in, in your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. So th this, this is going to 
polarize some people really quickly. So I talked about faith, right? So I'm a Christian. I have a deep belief in God, like my faith is in Jesus. And so there is some tension between those two things because the majority of, and and I'm not an expert in this area, but the majority of um, uh, Stoic, the Stoic philosophers from the past were opposed to uh, this true experience of faith, right? They, they, they believed in some of it. They had their own versions of it. Uh, so there is some tension there. That's actually why I was so attracted to Ryan Holiday, though, was because, um, like, if, if I just have this very, like, um, uh, blinders on, narrow vision of my life and faith, then I think I'm going to miss out on all of these other amazing opportunities and perspectives to the things that go on in the world around me. So like, here's a great example. So Ryan Holiday just recently wrote a book called Stillness is the Key. Another excellent book. Amazing. And and so for me, so again, I'm a Christian. um, And so mindfulness, prayer, meditation, uh, you know, like quiet with God, go away into the wilderness, like biblical principles out the wazoo uh, on that whole topic. And yet, that's one of the things that I've struggled with the most. Like the thought of being in a quiet room by myself for five minutes scares the crap out of me. Never mind like days in the wilderness or something, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, well, here's this guy that's coming from a totally different perspective than what I think. Let me read what he has to say. And so I was really scared reading that book because I'm like, is he going to say the same thing? And then I got no more outs. Um, and I wasn't looking for something to contend with what I believe the Bible called me to just like I wanted a perspective, the way that he wrote about stillness of the mind, even in the present moments of busyness and activity, I took that and then applied that back to all of my understanding from a Christian perspective. And I was like, Holy smokes. Like these things are just amazingly in alignment with each other, right? Where like, you know, the, 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 the root foundation is different and the end goal is ultimately going to be different. But in between, there's so much like a consistency uh, to, to what's being said. And so I just, I love that. And Ryan Holiday, like he, he just has such a great way about uh, his approach to writing, uh, his storytelling, um, uh, even, uh, so another thing I really respect about him is his, um, his graciousness, um, in how he talks about other perspective and belief for the most part. Like I've never heard him belittle the way somebody else thinks or talks. Uh, and so I just, I really appreciate all that stuff. So it's really, really influenced me. And I do love like stoicism at its root, um, uh, in, in this practice of, again, like being one with your mind, being still the practice and art of like, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I believe that in a world today where we're going 9 million miles an hour, everyone should pick up that book. Like it was one of my top five books of 2019. I've already gifted at least 25 copies of that book away. Uh, and I will continue to do so. Like that was amazing. Um, the obstacle is the way blown away by how well he wrote that book. So just, yeah, I mean, just so many good books. And I, and it's because like he studied so well in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the fact that he's tried to um, give a whole bunch of outs to a guy like Marcus Aurelius, but, but again, like, you know, that, that's his own, his own thing. And, and I'm no one to tell him that, but um, you know, it's not perfect, but, but he's done a great job in the area mm-hmm. that he's really studied. I think that I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't, I have never been brought up with a, in an environment whereby faith has been an important thing, but the, 
the thing that strikes me as similar between um, Stoic writings and what I have read of the Bible is this this idea of virtue. Yeah, and it may be called something slightly different in the Bible. I'm not entirely yeah. sure, but this idea of like living a living a good life, living a life that is in alignment with what is good, what is right. Yeah, and. I think this kind of ties quite nicely into what you were saying about how people need to identify their values and their drivers and their beliefs and that sort of thing. Because it's so easy now to get swept along with what you feel you should be believing or you feel you should be doing or the people you should be hanging out with or the holidays that you should be taking because it's what you've seen when you've been scrolling through Instagram or something like that. Instead of taking the time to kind of do that internal work with the stillness of the mind, yeah. figuring out what that little voice on the inside is saying, that one that is a whisper, but if you don't listen to it, it will become a shout. And just taking a step back. What, yeah. what does it mean to live a good life? And so, so like, this is such a wonderful point of illustration, too, with what you said. So, like, we come from absolutely different perspectives, right, as, as it relates to that idea. Now, if you were also to say, uh, and I believe that there's no purpose to us being on earth, th- then like, then there's, there's a challenge there. But probably, just in a little bit, I know the conversation we've had, like, while I believe, like, we were created by God for a purpose, you believe that you were put on earth, probably, right, for a purpose. And so how we got here uh, is different. Mm-hmm. But again, like, I can still say to you, and you would probably nod your head and agree, like, and then this is how I coach, like, I don't care how you believe we got there. Like, I care, but I'm not going to like push it on you. But like, you were created with a purpose, or you're here with a purpose, and, and you have value, like inherent value in this world. Like, you're called to specific things, like it's not accident. Uh, again, like how that all got put together, like you can de- debate that on your own, but like, let, let's get clear there. Like, let's make sure that whether or not you're here for five minutes or 5,000 years, that you do everything you can to live the life that you have been purposed to live. Uh, and so like, that's what I love the most is like my, my message transcends you know, uh, uh, people's root belief in, again, where we come from or who we serve. And that's what's most important to me is helping people to see that for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, this the idea of having like, there's a fundamentally different beginning and a fundamentally different destination, but the journey. Yeah. There it is, it's been written about in countless writings, countless philosophies, like though the beginning and the end may be different we've got a pretty good idea of what the good bit in the middle is supposed to look like yeah yep. Sure. Yep. i think this this then circles quite nicely back to um one of the things that i initially wanted to talk about now obviously like the purpose of this podcast or one of the purposes of this podcast is to explore the more um areas involved more with mental health and that sort of thing. And one of the things that we connected over was your involvement as a survivor of the Route 91 massacre. Could you, I mean, we've spoken quite a lot about, well, we've touched on your faith um, and your beliefs associated with that. What was that experience like from a Mm. faith perspective? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's interesting the way things work. So um, a year prior, um, 
a year and about two weeks prior. So uh, first week of October, 2016, um, one of my coworkers, uh, who was my counterpart on the client service side of things after a company I was working for for a couple of years, uh, she committed suicide. And I watched um, her deep struggle uh, with mental health, um, really performance anxiety, expectations that she was setting for herself and couldn't live up to. And she just couldn't hear um, that, that value idea. And she was a Christian. And so, so when, she, um, when, when she died... Um, I really struggled with that. And we weren't super close personally, but I was really angry with God uh, that he would let that happen to somebody. Uh, I had counseled many people through similar things in the past, um, but I didn't, I didn't get that one. It was really, really hard for me. And what made it harder was we weren't close. And so then it was like, why am I so bothered by this? And so it took me a little while to resolve that. And so... Then Route 91 comes around, um, and um, and I can get into you know as many of these details uh, as we want. But um, it was really interesting because the one thing that I didn't question was my faith. Um, now um, it, it it wasn't an oh yeah, totally makes sense. God did it. You know that, yep, there, there's purpose in it. Like still, like we lost one of our best friends. And, um, I watched her laying on the ground. We tried to pick her up like 57 other people died that night. Um, all of the things that happened, like I would do anything, anything to take that moment back. Mm -hmm. And yet what, what I took away from that as it related to my faith to, to answer that part of your question is it had some odd way of strengthening it. And, uh, and it was because I was outside of that, like there was no point. And that, that's such a weird thing to kind of navigate through uh, because I think people use that as an out a lot of times with faith. It's like, well, God has a purpose, so you just got to trust it. I don't like that. And I had a lot of Christians coming to me. I'm a pastor of a church, by the way. Like I had a lot of Christians coming to me and they were like, hey, just trust God. Just continue to pray to him. And I'm like, yo, you are not helping me right now. So, but as I stepped through it and particularly like right now, right? Like we're having this conversation and I pray to God that somebody is listening to this and not at all, like whether or not they hear the faith part of the conversation is besides the point. Like someone needs to hear right now that it is okay for you to have gone through any kind of tragic event as small or as big as it is. And to feel just like your insides are being eaten away and feel like you want to crawl into a hole and yet to know that you don't have to live there. Right. And so like it's given me opportunities to share with other people to encourage other people. And so again, back to that, like for my faith, it, it gave me clarity around this idea of like, this world is so screwed up. And there are so many things that are like just a mess. And yet there was some purpose to it all. Like 
there was there was something there. Like here's another here's another really good example. Mm-hmm. So everybody came to me. Um, so I was interviewed by People Magazine, Time Magazine, like all these crazy things, right? Uh, and so um, a couple of things, like, oh, you're a pastor. Let me ask you these questions. Oh, you're a gun advocate and a gun owner. Let me ask you these things. So there was all these interesting questions that were coming up. The one question that nobody asked me that I really had a problem with until much later on, what, and it was really just triggered recently. So Eminem just recently released a song, uh, and the video uh, was uh, basically an account of that night. And he was speaking kind of from the perspective of the shooter and what he was thinking about and he was going through. And a lot of people, and I understand, had a hard time with like how morbid that was and like how, how much that triggered. But my my narrative in there was like, that was still a human being that had his own set of hurt and struggles and mental chemical imbalance, whatever it was, which means there are other people like that right now that, that we can speak to, that we can give time to. And so if, Again, purpose, part of the purpose of me stepping through that, being in the middle of it, and yet being able to see it a little bit differently, if, if, if it's to give other people an opportunity to, to be heard, to be cared for, to be loved on, then I still hate what happened, but I'll take it for what it is and use it to the best that I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, the experience of obviously going through something like that, it must be, it must have been horrendous i mean it's you kind of end up seeing the worst of humanity but then at the same time i read a little bit on your um on your website on your blog and the the piece that you put together about it and the one thing that you speak about is how an experience of that nature so something so testing something that can truly shake you to your very foundation can actually end up being an incredibly powerful unifying force because you have everyone going through a shared experience as terrible as the shared experience may be but coming together in this really profound sense of unity as a result of the experience yeah i mean so we live in a much different society today than we do then but like so the route 91 example so in the midst of gunfire going everywhere people so many people weren't even thinking about their own life. Like they were jumping on top of other people. They were carrying people out. They were taking clothes off their own backs to wrap other people. Like when, when tragedy struck, humanity stepped in. Mm-hmm. Um, dating all the way back to 9-11 here in the States, like um, for, for a few days, actually probably for a few weeks back then, we didn't have politics, right? We had a nation that was crying and hurt for thousands of people being lost and, and we weren't trying to position ourselves to one side or the other. Unfortunately, today, now that tra- when tragedy strikes, like it's just immediately one side comes up and says, hey, Blitz. vote this way. Hey, vote that way. But still, like we still see these little glimpses of humanity coming into play, which I, I, I hate to say it, but like these seem to be the only things that bring us together anymore. Like, mm-hmm. yes, like we can have shared values and common beliefs and we can come together in little pockets, but like 
when gunfire rains out, there's no black, white, or brown. There's no man or woman. Like there's no, there's no old guy, young lady. Like there's nothing. It's literally just like, we are all in this together and we're going to figure out a way to help each other out of it to, to do the best that we can to preserve each other. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to say that, like, we just need to keep having tragedy. Like that would just be her- sadistically horrible, but like, but like people need to see this. Like, we, we should be striving for these things outside of tragedy happening. And we just, we don't like, it's just, it's so terrible. It's saying the fact that experiences of that nature bring the best out in humanity. Surely it must be possible to end up in that same place without the tragic catalyst that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you were saying about the the video that Eminem came out with, um, and that people obviously, like, of course, you're going to find something like that incredibly difficult. But mm-hmm. understanding that this individual is a person, and if you had gone through the same experiences they had in the same way, and you were experiencing the same difficulties that they were, then the balance of probabilities means you would probably be in exactly the same position that they were. And I think that, to a certain extent, speaks to the much broader issue is that it's a, a lack of empathy oh. for everybody. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. So, you know, obviously we can't take responsibility out of the hands of the person that does something like that. And, and so, like, at the end of the day, totally, totally that person's decision, Um but, but yeah, like, so, so maybe a better example for people because they got to see behind the scenes if they watched it. So there was recently a documentary out on Netflix, uh, the mind of Aaron Hernandez. Mm-hmm. So the Patriots tight end that ended up committing multiple murders, ended up committing suicide later on, like he pulled the trigger. But as you watch this documentary, you realize that like divorce and then the death of a parent ruined him and sent him off down this bad path. The influence of the environment he was in sent him down a bad path. Drugs further distorted this human being. Like other people that were kind of opportunistic and taking advantage, like even the NFL itself, just turning a blind eye to some of, it, some of the very apparent things that were happening. Like some of the, con- the uh, uh, concussion protocols that we have today, if those would have been in place, like that guy's brain was destroyed because people didn't really care that much. Like they would have said they did, but they didn't. And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's us. Like we need to peel these layers back again. Like when we were talking earlier about like, we have a very different perspective of faith or, or, or lack thereof. And yet we're in this end goal. Like when we think of politics today, if you really sat a really liberal Democrat down with a super conservative Republican at the end of the day, they really want the finish the same finish line, Right. How they get there, totally different, and they're, they're going to produce some different outcomes. But we don't even give conversation a chance like that anymore. And so then we see that on the national level, and then that trickles down into our workplaces, into our homes, into our communities, even into our friendship relationships. Like, it's crazy when people say we don't talk about politics or religion at the table. It's like we're not adult enough to have a disagreement over something. Like, we have to be afraid that we're going to destroy somebody by thinking differently and and so then that bleeds into things like the mental health issue we have there's a lot of reasons why it is the way that it is but like if if i'm already struggling 
And then I can't go have these open and transparent conversations for fear of being judged or being just shit on or whatever, then like, it's just going to perpetuate the problem. And so there's just so many things all wrapped up into like what you said, like, how about just some empathy? How about Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand and then be understood. Like, how about sitting down and just getting to know people and understand the root cause of where they come from and why they are the way that they are before you cast any sort of opinion on them. But we just don't do that. I think it's this idea that if you disagree with me in some way, then therefore you don't like me as an individual. So, well, right. of course not. Like, if you are a reasonable, rational human being, then of course you're going to understand that I'm not going to think the same as everyone. Other people aren't going to think the same as me. But just because we have different opinions on different things, that doesn't mean that there is a fundamental dislike between yep. the two of us. I mean, going back to what you were saying about empathy, I think a lot of people say that they are empathetic as, oh yeah, I, I can put myself in someone else's shoes. And there was, there was something I think I saw on LinkedIn earlier today, just before we started. So that, um, a boss is speaking to his employees and he's saying, oh, he doesn't understand, doesn't understand like the issues that they're having, why they aren't they happy. So the HR manager says, go and put yourself in their shoes. He does it, comes back, says, still don't understand. So go and do it again, but make sure you take off your shoes first. <laughs> that is so great. That is so great. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so there was something else that you said in there that, that triggered me back to something we were talking about much earlier. So we were talking earlier about confidence, right. And, and and then, and in all that, like value and kind of where we put our worth and value. So all the way fast forward, if you think about us putting our value, putting our worth, our confidence, even like if we put that in what we believe in what we do, in how we act, then everything is under attack and everything is susceptible to trigger us to create enemies out of everybody that thinks differently than we do, right? Whereas if I say to you, look, we're on two different playing fields here as it relates to this topic, but I know that I'm a great human being and like I desire to do good in the world and I'm doing the best I can with everything that I have. And, and, and you can't change my perspective of myself in that regard. Then you say to me, dude, you believe in God? Like, that's just like crazy. I'm like, okay, we just have a difference of opinion. You still don't, you don't dislike me because of that. Like, we just, we just think differently, right? You don't think I'm less than a human. Now, if, if you, like you said, you know, if you treat people bad, if you do things that are less than human in an intentional way, then I could see people saying like, yo, like, your value is way down there. So, so, so I can understand that, but we just, we, we've rooted ourselves in things outside of ourselves, And I think that we're setting ourselves up if, to, to be in those environments where we are under attack and we're attacking other people because then our response to being attacked is just to attack other people. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I think it, it kind of boils down to like, where, where do you get your sense of self from? Are uh-huh. you looking to the outside world? To, to kind of tell you where you are is like so for example um i lived and worked in london for a couple of years and one of the one of the issues that i found that i really struggled with in london is like the first thing that people ask you whenever they meet you is they put you in a box it's like oh what do you do so he's like okay i'm going to see if i can fit you into this kind of loose expectation of where you're supposed to be because once i know what you do i know how much money you're making and because i know how much money you're making i know what your value is or at least what other people's perception of value is of you yep so if you're looking to the outside world to tell you what you are, to tell you what you value, to tell you what you believe, 
as opposed to going back to what we were saying before about the internal work, instead of taking that time to step back and figuring out what it is that you are telling yourself mm-hmm. about yourself, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Because as you say, everything that is an attack on something that you associate yourself with is going to be seen as a personal attack. It's going to be seen as an attack on you. Yep. No, I mean, that is, that's, that, that's so wise. And again, I, I, it's such a difficult thing to say because few people would admit to that, right? Again, it's, no, I, I, I don't do that. I wouldn't do that. Like, I, I know where my worth and value lies. But then you watch the way that they act, and it just tells a totally different story. So self-awareness. <laughs> do you think that level of self-awareness can be developed without some level of emotional trauma that kind of drives that wedge between your perception of self and yourself? Yes, it's possible. I don't think it's probable, but I don't think it takes one level of trauma or challenge over another. Um, I think that everybody experiences something along the way. Like it could have been as simple as like the young girl had her dad take her pony away when she was a kid. Like most people say that's ridiculous, but like that could have been enough of an experience to like have some kind of, uh, eye awakening, you know, moment. Um, I think what's more important is where I actually don't think it's possible, uh, is without some level of objectivity. And, um, What's really hard about that is, is in almost all of our relationships, and I'm even going to qualify to coach one, like in all of our relationships, like people are only so objective with us, right? So there's nobody in this world that is more honest and loving and considerate of me than my wife. Like she tells me like it is, but there are certain things that I am certain she would not say to directly to me, right? Like, Hey, you put on a couple of pounds, you should probably like scale back. Like she probably wouldn't say that. And yet that may be something that I need to hear. Mm -hmm. So that's why like going to this outside perspective, like a coach can be so beneficial because they're objective. The only problem there lies in one of two things. One is, unfortunately, I would say the majority of them, and and I'm just going to say majority are financially driven. So they're not going to do, they're not going to say something that would ultimately get them fired. And I think that's a dangerous environment to be in. And the other one is, is even for me, and this is where, this is the tendency that I fall into. And so I always need to be really careful is I always want the best for my clients. Like I always want to see them, see themselves in the best way possible. And, and because I'm typically working with people that see themselves fairly well, uh, or like have performed fairly well, they're usually overcritical of silly things. And so I'm trying to push past that. And so if I'm not careful, I'm not doing a good enough job of pointing out the areas that they're falling short in. And I'm focusing too much on their strengths, which is where I normally focus the most on anyway. I think that's the right kind of place to be. But if I'm not pointing out like, dude, you can't say that or, or you, the way you handled that was poor and you need to go fix that. Like if I'm not constantly checking myself as a coach and making sure that I'm being objective for their best and not what feels the best, uh, then I don't serve them well either. So you got to be really careful about that relationship. But I do think that you do need objectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are truly going to gain the level of self-awareness necessary to really hit those peak levels. 
um, in, in whatever area you're called to. And that could be everything from a parent to a spouse to um, a professional, whatever. Like, I think they all require uh, just that, that heightened level of objectivity. Mm-hmm. So whether that objectivity is coming from you needing to take that objective experience yourself from a traumatic experience or a test of faith or something along those lines, or whether you're enlisting help, whether you're asking for help and getting someone to provide that objective perspective for you. Did you find that after the, um, after your experience with the massacre, did you find that your, your business practices changed at all? Or what what was the day-to-day personal impact of that experience on you? Yeah. So, um, uh, so in 2015, so I had been in business for four and a half years in 2015, I was actually hired full-time by one of my clients, uh, that I'd been consulting for. Um, it, my wife and I felt like it was the right thing to do at that time. My business actually was doing really good, but it just felt like a really good place to be. And so we thought that was going to be about seven to 10 years. Uh, it's going to grow, sock some money away and then go back into business for myself. Um, Uh, but then at the beginning of 2017, there were some uh, inter-organizational challenges that were happening that I was starting to have be a, a little bit bothered by. Nothing unethical or anything like that, just differences of opinion and kind of leadership. And so then when Route 91 happened, um, I, I went back to work about two weeks later, and I was sitting in my office one day, and I remember saying to myself, like, what in the hell are you doing with your life? It was like just this moment, like I'll never forget saying that exact thing to myself. And so from that day, uh, which was probably uh, middle of November of 2017, all the way through to May of 2018, I was working with an executive coach at the time. He was a 80-something-year-old man, um, amazing guy, really helping me see blind spots into things I could never see for myself. Uh, Talking to him, my wife, a close friend, some family, I was contesting every area of what I was doing to determine whether or not like that was just the catalyst for my frustration or was that like a real awakening? Um, Did I need to change my perspective on the business and stay in it? Did I need to go back out for myself? Uh, And so finally, uh, second week of May 2018, I walked into my boss's office one day and just resigned. And I walked away from a significant salary um, an even larger stock payout that I had to, I had to, um, uh, leave behind because I wasn't going to be employed when the payout came benefits, comfort and everything. And I was literally walking back into almost the same environment. The only difference was from 2011 was this time I had about $40,000 in a 401k, mm-hmm. but we still hadn't rebuilt our life that much, uh, over that period of time. And I had no clients. Again, I'm like, what the hell am I doing, right? Like, and yet I was so convicted. Like, even my wife, who was way more conservative than me, she said, like, you got to do this. It, it's just everything makes sense. And so I resigned. Uh, they didn't want me to let anybody know for about two weeks. And so I gave them that time to kind of get their stuff in order. But I did tell a few friends. And by the time I went off on my own, June 1st of 2018, I had replaced every dollar of income that I gave up when I resigned my job on the month to month basis. And that was just this catapult. And so when I went back out then in 2018, I took everything that I had learned over that seven month period, put it on top of everything that I had done previous, you know, to being in business. And, and that's why I just went all in on this idea of look it, 
like if I had this moment and, and mine just happened to be big and hopefully not tons of people have to go through, but like if I went through this moment, everybody else is experiencing these in all different ways. And sometimes that's in chasing a new opportunity. Other times it is in an obstacle or something that they've gone through. But if I can figure out how to apply all those things I learned to every person on an individual basis, I think I can really do something that's quite a bit different than other people out there. Because there's some amazing motivators out there that just take, have taken the world by storm. Um, there are some uh, phenomenal coaches out there, but I feel like the mass is garbage. I just feel like there's just too much fluff. Um, it's too much about like, just do what I do or do what I say, and you'll get to where you want to go. And so I really wanted to dig into to to this experience and figure out how to apply it. And, um, and I feel like today, I mean, I'm still continuing to refine that, but I feel like the quote unquote product that I deliver today, particularly my particularly to my coaching clients for the right people, I feel like there's almost nothing better as it relates to creating the sustainable life. There's other areas of coaching that I, that I don't get into, but for this specific area, I just, I don't feel like there's much better, mm -hmm. but I'm a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> Good caveat there. <laughs> on a, on a more personal level, um, obviously going through, going through an experience like that, you're going to see some, see some things that no one should really have to see. Yeah. What was, well, I mean, what was the impact of that? Um, I mean, <clears throat> you know, so very simply, right. I mean, I don't think that, you know, I didn't sleep for a couple of days, um, because every time I closed my eyes, all I saw was people laying on the ground. Um, you know, we saw just terrible, terrible sights. Um, and, um, uh, you know, noise, uh, you know, really loud noise was really hard, um, uh, to deal with a loud banging, uh, because just, you know, the gunshots, um, so what ended up happening from that was, uh, and I noticed it pretty early on was it started to create a lot of anxiety in me, uh, when situations got tense. So even the, the, uh, the conversation of having to go in and resign to my boss, like I knew what I wanted to do. I was clear. I, I didn't even think I was going to really be confronted. And yet it, it was, it was almost like uncontrollable, right? Like I, di I didn't know if I could really deal with the emotion. Um, and so, uh, that stuff like that started happening, um, in April of 2019, um, I was sitting in my office. So, uh, 2019, yeah, 2019. So we're now like a year and a half removed, right. From, from that event. And April of 2019, I'm sitting in my office, uh, in, off to the best start I'd ever had in my business. Like first quarter was amazing. And I'm sitting in my office and I had been dealing with the possibility of losing a decent sized client. And, um, I was at my desk and I, all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't move anymore. And I didn't know what to do. Like, I just felt like I couldn't function. Like the world was closing in on me. Uh, like I was like, gosh, I just want to like crawl into a hole and die and not like, I, I don't want to minimize suicide. Like it wasn't really that it was just like that thought. And so I called my wife and I'm like, babe, like, I don't know what's going on, but I really think like I'm, I'm feeling like real, like clinical anxiety and, and depressive thoughts for the first time in my life. And so I started talking to a few friends that, um, that seemed to resonate a little bit. 
that led to about a two and a half hour podcast with two good friends of mine, one of which I had no idea, but had actually attempted uh, near attempted suicide, put a knife to his throat and in some circumstance had him take it down before that happened. And another girl that um, has had some kind of similar struggles throughout her whole life. So it produced a lot of good, but right still like these big struggles. Then fast forward to July of 2019, I was uh, getting, I was in Texas getting ready to speak uh, at an event. Uh, and uh, that was the weekend that there was back-to-back shootings. Um, I can't even remember them now uh, in Gilroy, California, and then literally less than 24 hours later, oh, Dayton, Ohio. And so my wife called me uh, that night. Uh, I think it was a uh, Tuesday night or something. And she's like, I, like, I'm struggling so bad. Like this has hit me hard. And I was I was like, I'm coming home. Like, I'm just going to leave right now. Like, I can't abandon you. Like, you need me. And so we're, we, we talked through that the whole night. She finally kind of gets put to bed and, and rests and wakes up in the morning, struggling all over again. And I, walk, I was getting ready to walk out on stage five minutes before I went to speak. And a couple hundred people in the room. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, there, because what I feared was that anxiety was coming back. And I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to hold my emotion back, not crying. Like I I have no fear in doing that, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know if my passion on the topic I was going to speak on was going to get out of control and demonstrate itself as anger or whatever. So much so that I ended up stepping out on stage and I prefaced it. I I addressed the whole room. I'm like, look at, I just want you to know. I said the events of the last 24 hours I said, it put me into this place. I said, to be frankly honest with you, I said, I don't want to be here right now, but I really feel compelled to stand up here and live out the commitment that I've been brought here to do. And it it ended up producing one of the best talks I've ever given. And, And it resonated with people that day. So I've continued to deal with things like that. It's gotten a lot better uh, as I have spent more time on mindfulness, sleep. Um, I do, uh, I, I, I take CBD, uh, on a, on basically a daily basis, uh, that's really helped me with some temper some of the anxiety. So I've had to deal with that. But those are some of the big things that that have happened to me personally. And then just the practical, you know, like the loss. Still, I mean, um, uh, we have a good group of friends that we hang around with, and um, uh, we miss Nicole all the time. And so just the you know just realizing that, like, gosh. Like there, you get these really weird feelings sometimes, like she's just going to walk into a room and it was like you were punked or something like that. And when you realize that that's not going to happen, it's just so gut wrenching. And so there's just a lot of things, you know, I think that will continue to, to be with me forever. But I feel like um, I can choose whether I'm going to, and, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a hurtful way to anybody else, but like I can either wallow in them or I can use them as opportunities to serve and love other people in some way Mm -hmm. and a lot of what you're saying there i mean i've i've personally struggled with depression for i mean i can't remember what i haven't struggled with it (laughs) to be quite honest and like it comes in peaks and troughs and i found that much what you similar to what you were saying like when you're in a particularly bad spot going back to what you were saying the very very beginning like reach out like ask Mm -hmm. for help Mm -hmm. put your ego aside because there is a little bit of ego involved in oh. it. Like, I'm suffering and only I know I need to suffer and only I can suffer in this way. But putting that aside and actually 
reaching out to someone and saying, look, I'm having an absolute shitter at the moment. Like, I need a help. I need a hand. I need someone to listen. So as you were saying, like with your wife, when your wife is struggling, having someone there to talk to that you can kind mm-hmm. of not necessarily unload onto, but someone that is going to be able to empathize with you. Mm-hmm. Being able to take that first step because that's that's hard. Like, that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, well, and, and I think too, from the other side, I think that one of the things I learned... <laughs> Because like, I wouldn't put myself in your shoes. Like, and that's why I, I, I'm always really hesitant to say like I experienced depression mm-hmm. because what I experienced is insignificant mm-hmm. to what some people deal with on a daily. Like I, I couldn't even imagine. And I just so hurt for people. Um, but what, one thing I realized, even in my little experience, was um, what an opportunity people that don't have it or maybe even have it, but are feeling good today, what an opportunity they have to just ask how other people are doing. Um, I I think that, again, we live in this fast-paced society, um, even in our own relationships, you know, hey, how's it going? Good, good. Like, you know, we just, we kind of avoid it. And so I think that we have this huge gift of, of just being able to take a few more minutes, you know, to, to take interest in people's lives. Like, no, so really, like, you know, what's the last week been like for you? How's your marriage going? Like, you know, what's school like? Um, because as we take a couple of levels deeper, I think what, what the person on the receiving end begins to feel is, oh, you're not just giving me the social greeting of how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you really care about me to some degree. Because I think we really do. We just kind of don't know where to, to pry. And so um, that gives people permission to start to open up. Because, you know, like you deal with this on a regular basis. And for some people, you probably feel like, gosh, I don't want to keep like unloading on them because they're going to get tired of it. And so you start to feel bad even talking about it. And so maybe when you're at your worst, when you really need someone to talk about it, you're going to feel the most guilty about not saying anything. Whereas if I was like, hey, man, like, you know, how is it going? Um, You know, what has it been like for you this last week? Like, have you struggled? Like, what's going on? Like, that's like, oh, you you actually care. And so I just think that there's such an opportunity on the reverse just to take a little bit more interest in the relationships that we have um, because you never know when you're going to be that voice. Like again, to the girl that I worked with that committed suicide, like I was with her an hour before she committed suicide. One hour. We were in a meeting together on a conference call, myself, my boss and her. And crazy enough, like she got up kind of abruptly. The meeting wasn't even over. But she just kind of got up abruptly and left. But she was acting, obviously, off for six months. And so we just thought, like, oh, she was having a moment. She got up and left, and she went home for the day. But my boss and I were like, gosh, like, she, just, she didn't even say anything. And I don't believe I could have done a single thing. But if we would have got up, if I would have just got up and been like, hey, wh- where are you going? Like, why did you leave so fast? Like, she had a plan in place. Like, yeah. you know, would, would one more, like – like it gets exhausting, right? Six months of like, she's coming to work. She's mopey. She's sad. And it's like, come on, like, you know, we're trying to help you here, but you need to help yourself. Like it's exhausting. I understand, but is just one more time going to be the time that finally gets someone to see, like, there are people out there that care about me and that they're willing to step through this with me. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think like there's, there is still so much kind of stigma wrapped around those topics because like, Oh, it's it's difficult when someone asks how you are to kind of always like, like actually 
I'm not great at the moment. Mm. So it's like, oh, well, I didn't really want that to have that conversation. I was really just kind of asking how you were so you'd say you were fine and then I could t- tell you about me. Yeah. But I think there also needs to be a distinction made between being depressed and having depression. Because if you're mm-hmm. depressed, then like everyone gets depressed. Like if your parents die or something like that, or you go through an experience like um, Route 91, as you did personally. You're going to be depressed afterwards because of the nature of the experience. But then there is a difference between that, those feelings, and then depression as well. Such a good articulation. And I feel that it's – that distinction is now starting to be made. Like just because you're depressed doesn't mean you have depression. Because you have depression doesn't mean you're depressed. Like Mm -hmm. because you have – as I was saying, like the peaks and the troughs, you have good days, you have bad days, good periods, bad periods, whatever. But having someone who is – genuinely interested in holding space for you it's like look i actually want to know how you're feeling i'm not asking you a question so i can hear myself speak i'm not asking you a question as an opener so i can tell you how i'm doing it's i genuinely want to know what it is that you're saying and what you're feeling and i think i mean we touched on empathy a couple of times here um in various contexts from a stoicism and christianity or political standpoint again having that ability to hold not necessarily discourse but actually have like a proper conversation yeah that cannot be overstated yep yep i mean we're human beings and you know with all of our mess all of our faults all of our hurts all of our struggles ultimately we're trying to do the best that we can and it may not always look that way um but when we have the opportunity to stand alongside other people that are also in it for the same reason and then willing to stand with us in our garbage, man, it's just, it, it, it's such a more fruitful life. You know I mean? It just, it's it, like, even when you go through the awful things, like when you go through it with a brother or sister that is like, that's in it with you, it just, it, it feels so much better than being all alone. And so, you know, there, we have much more in common then, then, then we have difference. Like we're all after far more of the same things than we are of different things. And so, yeah, there's just such an opportunity. And I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm part of the problem at times. It's easy to just skip over and keep going with my own kids. You know, it's like, how was your day? Good, good. Okay. Phone. I'm on my phone or I'm back at work or whatever. It's like, we just need to take more time because again, that's the one thing that we just, we never know how much of it we have. And like we talk about, oh, you only have so many hours in the day. It's like, look at like that always gets applied to like how much work you can do in a day. And, I, and that's fine. But more importantly is you only have so many hours to be alive. And at some point you expire and or the people that you love do. And that's the thing that you will miss most is not having the opportunity to continue those relationships mm-hmm. so what can you use your time doing to do the greatest amount of good as opposed to just work <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and what the great thing is what's so cool i think is like part of the way that we can do these great things is through work right like <laughs> I, it, it's amazing how you know whether you're an employee in a massive company or you own a business or whatever like like there's people all around you like the way you do commerce, the way that you lead or the way that you work for somebody else. Like there's just so many ways through even the professional world. So instead of separating that as another space, like let's see that as part of the realm in which we've been called uh, to be people with people. Mm, for sure. So 
Bumping up against the coming up for an hour and a half now. So one last question that one question that I like to ask um, all of my guests is as we've been exploring, like one of the purposes of this podcast is to dig into mental health and personal experiences and that sort of thing. If there is someone who is listening to this podcast right now and they find that they're in a particularly tough spot, so it could be with trauma or they're just not having a great time, what would be the one thing that you would recommend that they do that would help them move through that experience, move through this moment? Okay, so I'm going to say a couple things. I'm going to take a little bit of liberty. So the first one is, I think that we need to give ourselves permission to not be okay. Um, I think that is first and foremost, uh, something that just, it's so important. Like it's okay that you're having a really bad day or that you feel really bad. Like you don't want to stay there, but it, it doesn't make you any less of a human being because you're having, you know, whatever it is that you're going through. That's number one. Number two is um, I tell people all the time that we lie to ourselves more often than anybody else. And so we need to recognize that. And when you are in a bad place or in a bad way, all the lies you're telling yourself or all the things you're telling yourself most often are lies, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. Nobody wants me here. No, you know, like those things like, that, that's just, it's where we go. It's, it's a horrible, horrible characteristic of ourselves. And so we need to prepare for that before we get into that. So, so that's the second piece. And then the third piece is, is find somebody to care. And I know that like, that can be a daunting task because you feel like you've expired so many resources, but do it again. Because for, for the people that get all the way to the end of themselves, um, the one thing those around them that cared and loved for them will say is, gosh, I wish that I just had one more opportunity. And so you may feel like you're tiring somebody out, but, and, and they may be, but just know that they'd rather be there with you than without you. For sure. Goodness, I it myself. Awesome. Thank you very much, Ryan. This has been, this has been a great conversation. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Awesome, and thank you very much for listening. That was Rolling Forward. I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you enjoyed this episode or you feel that there is something that I should be talking about or someone that I should be talking to, please don't hesitate to get in touch. The most effective way to do that is to leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you are listening on. I will read any and all reviews, so please leave me your comments so I can provide you with even more value. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next time.